Hello, you guys. Welcome to this episode of Sitting Down with Sarah. Um, I'm so excited about this episode today. We are talking about maybe one of the most controversial topics there is, and that topic is faith. Um, sitting down with me are the amazing Chris and Becky Bissett um, and the lovely Logan Mendenhall, who happens to also be my husband. <laughs> so welcome, guys. I thought that maybe what we would do is let you guys introduce yourself for a second and then have everybody get to know you a little bit better, and then we can dive in. Awesome. Thank you. You bet. So I'm Chris. I am friend and neighbor of the <laughs> Mendenhalls. Um, <clears throat> I am a dad, a father of five, and married to my wonderful wife, Becky. Um, I'm a registered nurse. Um, I also graduated from BYU with a Bachelor of Arts in English, minored in women's studies. And so then took a turn for nursing, and I'm a home care case manager um, in the area. Oh, um, I'm also mother of five, <laughs> wife of Chris. Um, I'm also a registered nurse and more uh, interested in the surgical end of things and how the ins and outs of the way the body works. Awesome. And we're both nature enthusiasts. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Awesome. And I'm Logan and I'm husband of Sarah and I'm a father of three and I'm happy to be here. I don't really know Becky that well. Um, I know Chris growing up. Uh, I feel like I know Chris from a distance because he was two years older than me growing up in a small town. And um, I'm excited to hear your guys' point of view specifically uh Chris's point of view on, on faith. Um, number one, I think because he's someone that I have looked to as an example of faithfulness and someone who looks to be righteous first. And, uh, and so that I'm thankful to be here and to, to have the opportunity to hear some of Becky and Chris's <laughs> opinions on the topic. I think, I think you're right to be excited about Chris. <laughs> I know. He's, he's way more exciting than me. <laughs> no way. I'm always like, yeah, what's going to come out of your guys' mouth? I'm so excited. I'm always interested to know it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited. I brought this up to you guys before. Um, I think maybe we could start it off by talking about what faith means individually to us. Um, one thing that I brought up that I would love to touch on um, later on in this episode is culture versus doctrine. I mean, we were just kind of talking about it, but um, what does faith mean to you guys? It's a big question. Chris is going to let me ha tackle this one yeah. first. Um, what does faith mean to me? That's an excellent question. I think um, it has a lot to do with um, being able to act and uh, choose to do things in spite of not necessarily always knowing or feeling 100% uh, confident in my knowledge and accepting that there's something greater out there that um, that I can believe in, that, that I believe has more knowledge than me, for one, and um, that is of, of more value um, following than just my fleeting thoughts and interests, mm -hmm. um, something that's a little more solid and, and consistent. Yeah, I agree. I think that faith is, it's a, it's a difficult thing to define because um, it's kind of hard to peg down what does faith, faith mean to you. Um, but I think I agree with Becky. Faith is um, not necessarily a knowledge. I think sometimes we get confused 
uh, particularly in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where we focus so much on testimony, we forget that faith is what comes before you have a testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, and so faith is something that you don't know. And so that's kind of uncomfortable because we don't like not knowing things. And so I think we tend to focus about on testimony and knowledge a little bit easier because it's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And faith is what you don't know. And it's hard to grapple with that as a members of the church because we like to have answers to things. You're totally right. And I've said this to you guys before, but it's really hard when you come from a church that is a church of absolutes. So when people stand up on Sunday and they say, I know that this church is true and I have a testimony of these things. And then you have people in the congregation who are sitting there and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know that. I actually don't know this, this, and this. But there's no space or maybe we just feel like there's no space that we can stand up and say that. Like, I don't know that this is true, but I hope it is, or I have faith that it is, or I I hope to believe that it is. That's that's a tough thing coming from a church of absolutes and then mixing faith into that. Yeah. I think we forget um, what Nephi said sometimes that maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe it's not Nephi. I don't remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that faith is a knowledge of things hoped for. So really that's a lot of what faith is, is, is the hope. Yeah. Faith, hope, and charity. Those things are, are always intertwined. We can't have one without the other. Um, we have hope that there, that there are things to have faith in. We have um, the faith to act on those things. And hopefully um, as we exercise our charity, our faith and hope are, are strengthened. Yeah. Yeah. So Alma said something um, similar to that. So he says, uh, I would ask you, is this faith? Behold, I you, nay, it, for if a man knoweth a thing, he hath no cause to believe, for he knoweth it. So I mean, it's, faith is not knowing something. Mm-hmm. It's, if, you, if you know it, you don't need faith. You know it already. Right. So. And that's hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. So maybe we could talk about why the gospel and religion, I guess, in general is founded on faith why why is it important that it's founded on faith instead of a sure knowledge of things maybe how does that benefit us yeah i think that's a really good question i think that we know less than we think we do mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean we are we are mortal beings with mortal minds full of our own biases and our own ideas and so we really have to learn to rely on faith and one of my favorite scripture stories actually is the the story of the army of Helaman, where we have these young boys that are going out to war, and um, they didn't doubt that their mothers knew it. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't know it. They were kids. <laughs> like, what did what does a fifteen, so sixteen, seventeen-year-old kid actually know? Um, but they had faith, and so they had faith in the words of their mothers, who had experienced, you know, had had experiences in the gospel where they'd been converted and maybe had knowledge at that point, because knowledge does come as we grow in our faith. But they didn't have that knowledge. They had just they just knew their mothers knew it. And so as, as they went out to our, the, the, the war, you know, with just faith, that faith was a power that protected them. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily their knowledge that protected them. If they had knowledge, they'd know if they were young kids that would probably die in a war. But they had faith that they would be protected because of what their mothers taught them. So faith, in some ways, is even more powerful than what we think we know. And I think it's amazing, like just sitting here together talking about this, this is why we need each other. This is why we need um, community. This is why we need uh, even church is so that we can get those perspectives from other people, so we can hear about their faith, so that we can um, 
kind of glean from them and learn from other people and learn from those around us. So, yeah. We also learn in the scriptures that faith is the evidence of things that are not seen. And so when you think about those 16, 17 year old kids, what caused them to have faith that their mothers knew those things? And I think probably if you maybe think back to, you know, if you've had parents or people in your life that were good examples, mm-hmm. you could see the evidence of their faith by the fruits of their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you felt something of their righteousness. You felt something of their conviction that yielded fruits of goodness mm-hmm. and of productivity. And so I think, you know, that's an important thing to, to remember about faith is that it's the evidence of things that are not seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You reminded me when you were just talking about those sons, um, why do I feel like today kids don't have that blind faith, if you want to call it, in their parents or in um, in many things? I feel like back then it was so much easier for kids to listen to their parents mm-hmm. and and just trust what they said. And I think that we've lost that a little bit. Do, do you agree or I, would you say that? I kind of do. And in a way, I actually think it can be a really good thing. Sure. Because um, when you're just kind of blindly following somebody, you're not really given the opportunity to exercise your own faith. Yeah. You're just like, sure, I'll do whatever my parents tell me to do. That's kind of a lazy kind of faith. Yeah. And I think sometimes as we grow up, we do the same thing with our prophet. I don't know, just tell me what to do, prophet, and I'll do it. You know, and mm, Instead yeah. of actually having to grapple with and ask questions. Because I think asking questions is the catalyst for exercising faith. We need to come up with the things that we don't know mm-hmm. and say, okay, these are the things I don't know. Now what? Mm-hmm. So what do you say then to the people who um, will question that we don't have the opportunity or the, or the option to ask those questions. Cause I hear that a lot. I hear people feeling stressed because the church is founded on a boy who had questions. And then there's people who are leaving the church and they're saying, well, anytime I, I question something or I look into something, I feel like I'm reprimanded. What do you say to that? <laughs> I don't know if it's even so much of a reprimanding we get from other people as we do from ourselves sometimes. And, uh, well, okay, I'm speaking from my own experience, I guess, sure. um, that I often have felt um, guilty or insufficient that I don't know enough and it, and it gives me a lot of angst. And so I think I don't want to sit with that feeling. I don't like that feeling. So if I just ignore it or if I just say, you know what, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to forget about it and say, you know, I I can't know. So what's the point in even trying? Yeah. Um, sometimes that's been easier for me than actually having to sit with the discomfort and, and try and look into it and try and find those answers on my own um, and try and rely on other people. I don't like to rely on, on other people or ask for help or accept that I don't know something. And so it's been um, a humbling experience to, to recognize that I can't do this and I'm, I'm not enough. I'm not enough without a savior. Yeah. And I have to rely on Jesus. I have to rely on those that he calls and those that he um, inspires on my behalf. Yeah. And in answer to your question, like what do you say to somebody who's having these questions? The first thing I would say to them is congratulations. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a good start. I mean, if you don't have questions, how are you supposed to learn? Mm-hmm. If you think you know the answers already, where are you going to go? And so I think like Becky said, what do you do at that point? 
So I have a question. That's kind of like the first realization. And I think we all go through that at some point. Um, as members of the church, at some point, we're going to come across something that's really, really hard. It's not even necessarily a doctrinal question or something about church history. I think sometimes it's something about ourselves or about some experience that we're going through, whether it's uh, a death in the family or a divorce or something. We're all faced with this, okay, I've got a question. How is this going to work out? And then, like Becky said, I think the next step is recognizing where to turn. Like, There's other places we could go for answers besides Christ. And all of them are not don't always look bad. Some of the some of the alternative narratives are pretty pretty good, and uh, at explaining things and why we're going through the experiences we are. Um, but we get to choose. Um, do we do we choose Christ, or do we choose something else? Because mm-hmm. the first principle of the gospel isn't faith. The first principle of the gospel is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. I I like I like the comments. Um, I'm reading a book right now called The Crucible of Doubt by Terrell Givens. And mm-hmm. he, the title of that book is really interesting, The Crucible of Doubt. And the definition of a crucible is a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. And so it's this container where metal is melted down and it can be forged into something better, mm-hmm. something useful. Yeah something beautiful and so in talking about the crucible of doubt you know that helps us really understand that doubt and questions and seeking is what ultimately leads to you know bettering or increasing our testimony and understanding of the lord jesus christ yeah i think too i mean all of these things are are so good but that also brings me back to culture Mm-hmm. Um, we have a tendency to fear when people question and when people go through uh, trials and faith crisis. And um, that leads to anxiety. The person mm-hmm. who's dealing with that faith, faith crisis to feel like we can't talk about that or um, will be judged by that, that's a really hard thing. So Another reason of why I really wanted to start this podcast was to create a space where people can say, um, I am questioning this. I don't know where to turn to, or I'm turning to this. And these answers that I'm getting are really confusing. And to have us be able to sit here and say, you know what? That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay to feel that. And like you said, Becky, sit in it. Let's sit in this discomfort. (laughs) Let's not shelf it. Let's Let's just find. Soak it. it. Soak it in. Yes, just feel it. And and line upon line, let's move forward. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're stagnant, like you're not moving. And that's something that I would really like to, as a culture, address that let's not freak out. Yes. Let's just keep our fear at bay. Everybody receives revelation at different times, mm-hmm. and but be there for each other. Exactly. Yeah. You kind of mentioned how, you know, we, we get that anxiety in ourselves, but I think we get it when we see other people leaving or when we see other people with questions and we think, oh my goodness, they're, you know, they're lost (laughs) and and not never going to come back and never going to succeed. However, we perceive that and whatever our narrative says that success looks like. Um, So not to freak out when we see other people and, and just to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to sit with you in your in your doubt or in whatever it is, I'm going to mourn with you yeah. as we're 
uh, as we covenant to do when we when we're baptized and take upon us the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he would do. He would sit with with everyone, anyone, yeah. um, and encourage them. And not jump in with easy answers, yeah. you know, to hard questions. Be like, oh no, it's just this, you know. If you just, yeah. If you just did this, I mean, <laughs> I think we need to become more comfortable with not just our own doubt, but the doubts of others in our, in our culture. And as you were talking about that, it reminded me of um, the the story of of Peter in the boat, and Jesus is out in the water, you know, and he sees him out there, and and uh, he Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's thou, bid us me come upon. Come, come on to the on the on the waters, and Jesus just says, "Come," and Peter just leaps out of the boat, you know, <laughs> as, as Peter would do, you know, and and he starts walking on the water, and he's doing it. He's walking on the water. I'm, uh, there he is, going to Christ on the water, and then, but he's by by himself, you know. And I often wonder the untold story of the disciples that are like sitting in the boat watching this happen. They're like there he goes, what's he doing? And uh, and and he's walking for a little while, and he sees the the winds. And the storms, as we all do at times in our faith journey to Christ, where we see those storms and and we go, wait, what am I doing? I'm on the water. This is this isn't this is weird, and I don't know what I'm doing now. And you start to sink. And I think that one of the bedrocks of our culture, in where you know in North America, is individualism, where we think that we have to do this faith journey to Christ by ourselves. There we are on the water by ourselves, and the rest of them are in the boat just watching, <laughs> watching us flounder on the waves. But what if we all went out of that boat together? Yeah. What if we're all holding hands, arm in arm, walking to Christ um, on the water together? I don't think that we would sink when we're when we're as a group, when we're as a people. So I think finding ways that we can walk together on the water. And you know, in my in our ward and in any ward I've been in, I've seen people walking on the water, doing amazing things in very difficult situations, and they're they're on their way to Christ. And in every ward, I've also seen people that are sinking in the water. And that's all of us at different times in our faith journey. We all sink sometimes and we all walk sometimes. So I think it's a lot easier if we did this journey together arm in arm mm-hmm. rather than by ourselves. And the funny thing is, as humans, we want that. Everybody wants that, whether you want to admit it or not. But for some reason, we don't want to say it out loud. Well, we believe we're taught that we're weaker if we need somebody. Yeah, to help us, you yeah. know, or to walk, to sit with us in our journey, or somebody that we could just talk with about our doubts. Yeah. The idea of individualism. Why? Why do you guys think that that's such a big thing in our society, and not maybe specifically in the church, but just you know, I feel like society and and the culture that we live in, even outside the church, is telling us that we need to be an individual and we need to find ourselves in, in such a way that sometimes maybe guides us off of where we're actually supposed to be. That's a really good question. I feel like there is aspects of like salvation is a personal thing. We all have to get to Christ on our own, but, um, but it's also a collaborative effort. And I feel like that's one of the things that I love about the restoration of the gospel is the vision that Joseph Smith gave us of what heaven is like and what our journey to heaven is going to be like. That it's about building Zion. Like we are doing this together. We are a community of saints. And um, it's not just about you and God and you go up to heaven and you have this one-on-one with the Savior. We're getting to heaven together as families. We're getting there to heaven as, as communities, as groups of people, as friends. And that our relationships with each other can be something that's eternal. 
Yeah. And I think as Zion, um, we're, we need to remember that we're part of the body of Christ that, um, I may be really good as a hand or a foot, but I might be a miserable eye and I can't see. And so I need somebody else to be that eye or to be those ears, um, to make us all uh, come together and be able to use the gifts that we've been given. Because I think um, our Heavenly Father did that on purpose. He didn't give every one person every spiritual gift or every um, talent or ability so that we have to rely on other people. And I think, I guess, to answer your question about why does our culture value individualism so much, it could very well be that it's... um, Sorry, I keep whacking the table. Um, It could very well be that it's a lie that that Satan gives us that we have to do this on our own, that um, it's up to you, that it's you that's going to get you um, where you need to be, which is never the case. It's never going to be just us. Even if we did everything almost as near perfectly as we could, we still can't do it without a savior and without Jesus Christ. So we have to learn to rely not only on each other, but on him. Mm-hmm. And that's been a hard lesson yeah. for me to learn. I know I have a lot of pride in my ability to do things on my own and and, independently. I know, and Becky, how wonderful she is. I think it's easy to think she could do it on her own. (laughs) You (laughs) said, Becky. (laughs) Learning that lesson is hard for for some people who are wonderful like her. (laughs) I know. You just gave me this image of a path and just a a lone person on it. Mm -hmm. And something that I just keep thinking about is we've talked about our journey. So our journey in life, our faith journey, all of these things. Um, and the people around all of us who are leaving the church, I often hear the saying, um, I feel like there's no place for me. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not all in, then where am I? Mm-hmm. And I, I want to change that narrative that you can be so far holding onto that iron rod so hard, or you could be not even on the path, but you're still in. You know, like even if you're just a Christian, like you are in, even if you are in a moment where you don't even know if Christ lives, Mm -hmm. you're in. Mm -hmm. Don't ever put yourself in a position where you feel like there's no place for you. That's like, that's a me issue. That's a, that's a, a struggle I think within all of us. And that is a narrative that Satan puts in our head. And I just, I always want to say to my friends who are feeling like, I'm out. I'm out because I don't know where that place is for me. It's like you're in. If we can, as a church and as a culture, say you're questioning things, you don't have a testimony of anything, but you're in. I just, I want to have that slogan you are in. (laughs) (laughs) And this also makes me think um, what do you guys think? All of you grew up in the church, correct? Mm -hmm. I find that it's a lot of this narrative comes from um, my friends or the people that I know who are leaving the church who feel like there's no place, they often, all of them, grew up in the church. So what do you guys think about um, about that narrative of growing up in the church and feeling like there's no place if you have questions? I have a thought on that. I think my initial thought is that, um, and it's probably not the same for everybody, um, but I think the the generation that raised the our generation maybe wasn't always the most open in communication and didn't always maybe have the best tools to communicate 
the true spirit of the gospel and what it's actually supposed to to look like and you know the the narrative of you know we can never question we can never doubt we can never struggle with our faith and if you do we should just sweep that under the rug and not deal with it maybe that's something that was you know taught maybe not entirely on purpose by the generation that raised us but you know maybe that's our charge and part of our responsibility as the next generation is to make sure that people know that they're in and that when they do struggle and when they do doubt that's okay and that's part of the journey and that's part of ultimately finding your faith mm-hmm. yeah that yeah. resonates with me a lot as far as even um being able to talk openly about our feelings and that kind of thing like i feel like um Anyway, in my family, that wasn't always the case. And that was the narrative of my grandparents and my great-grandparents. And that kind of goes back through the generations. And as we kind of unlearn those kinds of behaviors and those kinds of um, ideas that we can't um, speak out and we can't doubt, we can't, um, we just have to keep going no matter what kind of thing. Um recognizing that it's okay just to stop and take a breath for a little bit and say, you know what, I just need to regroup and I need to, I need to really um, think about things and not just um, carry on because someone told me to do it, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that um, when I was growing up in Raisin, this is just, just my experiences. I feel like there was a very checklisty approach to the gospel. And we talked about this before about, what the differences between membership and discipleship because mm-hmm. they're very different. Um, but to be a member is kind of like these are the things you got to do. How to get to Jesus in five easy steps. You know, this is kind of like these. You, you you go to church and you go on a mission and you get married in the temple and you do your home teaching and and those are the things you do. And it became very okay. Check 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 check. And once you've checked all those boxes and you're still feeling empty, yeah. you still feel like I don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, if that was the approach, and I feel like that was our approach uh, of teaching growing up. Um, you're you're missing the, the 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 point of the gospel. It's almost like Elton Perry said several years ago that the church is the scaffolding that builds uh, our, us and our families. So a scaffolding, if you think about it, it's a structure that's there, but you don't say, "Oh, look how gorgeous that scaffolding is." You know, it's just there. It's just there building the real thing, which is supposed to be our 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 discipleship and our journey towards Christ and and our our souls. So if you're focusing on the on the church and you're focusing on you know those checklist things, you're you're missing the point of the actual structure. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is something yeah. more. And that scaffolding is meant to be taken off eventually. Yeah. We don't we don't get to keep that. We have to depend on what's built underneath. And I think we're seeing that already happening in the changes that are happening in the church right now. Is the scaffolding is being taken down a little bit? Yeah. And so they're like, okay, so we've built you up to this point. Now what are you going to do? Right. We have a prophet who's saying, okay. Let's have just two hours of church. <laughs> totally. Yeah, Fantastic. So. Yeah. And let's let's lead discussions and let's lead um, uh, teachings in our home up mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Have Make sure that within the walls of your home, you're filling that Holy Ghost to the point where you can lead, guide, and direct to be closer to Christ mm-hmm. rather than this checklist saying, this is what you do. This is what you say. This is how you teach. I think some of it might have to do with the fact, going back to kind of your original question. um, I remember my mom telling me that she had a Sunday school teacher 
growing up that would say, I've never read the Book of Mormon, but I know it's true. (laughs) And I think that sometimes uh, growing up in the church, we maybe didn't have to put in that effort to get our own testimony or to really understand the gospel or believe what it's all about. Whereas when you are converted um, through an external uh, conversion process, let's say, um, you do put in that effort a little more. I think you have to you've come from a place where you didn't, you knew that you didn't have something and now you do. Whereas when you're in the church, you think, well, I've always had this and I've always been doing what's right. And I've always known, but maybe you didn't, maybe you weren't really converted. Yeah. And, and not that any of us are ever fully converted, I guess. Um, it's a process. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Process. You're totally right. We, <laughs> we just were listening to a talk last night from elder Bednar and he basically said, your conversion process is never ending. Mm-hmm. We and that leads us back into the the space of giving ourselves the grace to change our mind and and giving others the grace to change their mind and going on this journey of, you know, this moment I might be so active and I might have a testimony of so many things and I'm solid and then tomorrow or in 5 years from now we might be at the depths of our despair and we might have hit rock bottom and we don't believe in anything. We don't know where to go from there, but that's our conversion process. Then you just start working your way up. But I think what keeps us in and what keeps us available to keep moving forward is having a community around us that says, it's okay. It's okay for you to feel these things. Let's just keep moving. And and not to feel like you have to run. I, I've yeah. been thinking about this morning a lot um, in the scriptures. It always says, walk in faith. It's not take off and do gymnastics in faith. <laughs> it's we just have to keep walking one foot in front of the other kind of thing and walk together and, and walk with Christ. It's It's not a, like they say, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon kind of thing. So we're just taking it one day at a time and that's okay. And to be honest, you don't get a lot of good, thought in when you're doing gymnastics and faith. Yeah. Walking, walking is sometimes the best way to sort of feel connected to Christ. Uh, Jesus is always saying to us, slow down, don't rush. Yeah. Um, he's, one of the things he says in Doctrine and Covenants all the time is not in haste. Whatever you're doing, don't do it in haste. And I think being okay with slowing down a little bit and being okay with you know, taking some time to think about what we're doing, and that's so hard in the world we're living in right now because the world is always telling us to hurry up. Yeah. Yeah. And and these whole all these things that we're saying just keeps me thinking sit in it. Like sit in it, slow down, let yourself feel the spirit. That is really hard. Why is that hard? <laughs> well, Cuz it's uncomfortable sometimes too yeah. cuz sometimes it means we have to change things too. Yeah. yeah. It reflects. We have to look deep. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Logan? Yeah. So what does it what does it look like? Like how how do we obtain that not surety, but that maybe assurance from God when we're in those moments of doubt and struggle and maybe when we feel like we're not on the path and maybe we're in a spot where we don't even feel like we want to be on the path. Mm-hmm. How do we find that? What does that look like in terms of getting that back and and feeling the presence of God in our lives and that he's actually active in our lives, pushing us and helping us in a 
certain direction. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's, that's a hard question to answer. I've, I feel like I've been there and I've been there recently and how, how did I get out of that situation? Um, it certainly wasn't an overnight, um, follow your five checklist steps <laughs> to Christ. It was, uh, feeling angry and it was feeling sad and, um, unsurety, uncertainty and, and a lot of, um, confusion at times even. Um, and I think patience was key for me. Um, not just getting up and walking away when it hurts and when, um, when it doesn't feel right, I guess. Um, being able to rely on other people was huge. I think having um, a supportive family, a supportive husband, especially Chris was amazing for that. He didn't um, give up on me at any point. I, I don't know what else. Um, sometimes just, I don't know, just, sitting with it. Yeah. <laughs> we come back to that's really what it was. It was time. just time and patience. And, and I guess, uh, kind of reminds me of the, the idea of enduring to the end. Um, we're told to endure well, but I feel like I didn't endure well at all, but I did endure. And in that I came out the better for it with patience and, and with, with support. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have a better answer than that right that's now. A great that's a great Still yeah. working on it. Can we please talk about the saying endure to the end? I need you guys ah. to talk me through this <laughs> because it's maybe I think one of um, the most misused sayings. Maybe that's just how I feel because I think about it differently, but I, you said it perfectly how I think enduring to the end shouldn't be this like, oh, this exhausting, I'm just going through the motions and life is not meant to be enjoyed. Like I am just here to battle through and, and be done with it. Yeah. It's not the white knuckling approach. Yeah. <laughs> just hang in there until. Yes. I think it can be a joyful thing. Um, I think it should be. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it can be. Absolutely. I don't know, Chris. I think it comes back to the first principles and ordinances of the gospel, really, um, which is what we're talking about. The first being faith. So I think we faith isn't something that we do once and then we're move on to the next step. Okay, we did faith. Now we're going <laughs> to repent. Okay, now we're going to get baptized, and then we're going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then we did it. You know, yeah. but rather enduring to the end to me means okay, now start again, because we're going to come up against something in our life where we're going to have to have faith again. Every day. Yes. So we exercised enough faith when we were eight years old to get baptized. And that was enough because we had enough faith to trust our parents to say, okay, this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this, now you can get baptized. Or when you're a convert at any time, that's the first thing. But all throughout our journey of discipleship, we're going to come against a question or a doubt or an experience or a trial where we're going to have to start again at the faith and then um, move up forward and make those changes in our lives if we have to, because we all have to. And then continually um, partake of the covenants because the second, the two other two things are kind of the things that Heavenly Father does for us to help us on that journey. Mm-hmm. So I think enduring to the end come, it means to me more learning to rely on Jesus Christ. 
Yes. Learning to rely on him because we can't do this by ourselves. Yeah. I like that so much better. Because if we're just like, okay, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then yeah. we're not doing it well because yeah. it's just us. If we just think that that journey at the end is a solitary thing where we just got to get back to Jesus. There he is way over there. Yeah. Going to get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. but, but no, journey to the end means he's right there and we just have to learn to realize that we need him. Yeah. I th- I th- agree. And I think that there's so much joy to be had in that process of enduring to the end. And I feel like if we look at it in a way that's like painful or a, sh- a struggle, which sometimes it is, I think it's important for us to remember that there is beauty and there's progression to be had and fulfillment to be had in that process. And just speaking from my own personal experience, um, I've been reading a lot on the gift of the Holy Ghost lately and just the power that it has in our lives when we actually exercise the use of it and seek it and and try to receive it, as Elder Bednar says. And I think two, two aspects of the Holy Ghost that are important are that it sanctifies us and that it purifies us. And, you know, when we get to certain points in our lives and we can look back five years and say, you know, I'm better at this point than I was five years ago. And, and we can see the direct correlation to us making an effort to have the spirit in our lives more and recognizing the sanctification process that's actually happening and taking place in our lives and how it's purifying us. There's joy in that and there's fulfillment in that. And, and there's just a sense of happiness that comes along with that process that I think if we actually pursue it, it can really change us and it can really help us in our journey. Yeah. And I think I, I just keep getting this thought of, I do feel like the older generation, um, even just when I think about marriages or when I think about those types of relationships, a lot of times I, I even see it in our generation. We feel like, well, we made our decision, we made our bed and now we endure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so that word's very interesting because even though it might take work, like you said, it doesn't mean that we can't uh, make it a journey that is enjoyable. Like I, I just don't like to if it's if it's not working, we're just going to endure and we're not going to make change. Mm-hmm. I guess that's it. There's yeah. action involved yes. for sure. It's not just a. I like that analogy. Just lay in the bed. Yes. <laughs> you got to get up. You got to, you got to keep moving every day. And that's, that can be hard sometimes, but um, when we do it, 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 it changes us. Mm-hmm. It's that effort that, that makes the changes and makes the difference. It's, it's like the whole weightlifting analogy, you know, you have to have some resistance in order to gain that muscle in order to improve. Yeah. It's yeah. exercising faith. Yeah. yeah. There's gotta exercise. be a weight there. <laughs> so what are we, what are we pumping here? Yes. So, um, but I, I've always struggled with this narrative that the gospel is like this upward journey where we're just getting better, you know, over time, because sometimes I look back five years ago and I say, I'm not, I'm worse. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm worse. And I, I don't, I, I think about, you know, as a parent, as my kids grow and I realize that I'm actually sometimes an angry dad, but I used to be such a fun dad. <laughs> yeah. And I look back and I say, is this progress? Is this entering to the end? Is this slow? getting worse till you die (laughs) i don't know but uh, you know as a nurse um for many years i've taken care of old people and many of them are members of the church that i've taken care of and i've taken care of them at the end of their lives 
Um, and they, I remember this one lady that she was, she was in her nineties and she was a faithful member of the church and she just had celestial hair and a celestial smile <laughs> and everything else that you could think a lady should have with a temple on the wall. And I was, as I was putting her to bed one night, she said to me, you know, Chris, I struggle with the same things I struggled with when I was a youth. And I thought, you're 90. <laughs> if you haven't gotten to figure it out, what hope is there for any of us? And I think that sometimes we think that our gospel journey means we just get better and better and better. And I think that actually what the gospel does is it helps us to become better at uh, relying on Jesus Christ, because that's the only thing that we can really get better at as human beings is learning that we can't do it on our own. So I think that process of discipleship means that we come across hard things, we realize we can't do it, and we realize that we need somebody to help. Yeah. It's kind of, it reminds me of the recent, uh, there was a general authority that gave a conference talks about the current bush and being cut down. You know, sometimes we've grown to such a huge stature and we think, oh, yes, this is it. We're doing so good. Oh, when I was 21, I was, I had it made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, here comes the chainsaw, like, knock you down. And you start from these little seedlings again and just think, okay, it's time to regrow. It's time to rebuild and becoming something better because of that. But it hurts and and sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes we're less than we once were, mm -hmm. unfortunately. You just reminded me of a quote that talks about um, with growth, there's mourning. Mm. And I never thought of growth that way. You know, you think of growth, we're in forward motion, we're progressing, we're growing. It's always this positive look. But when you are moving, you're leaving something behind. Yeah. And we have to mourn that. Mm -hmm. And so that's really interesting because when I thought about it, I would never have put those two words together. And you just nailed it that when we start from scratch and when we grow, we are mourning something, whether that's who we were, whether that's who we're trying to forget, whether that's, you know, whatever that might look like with growth, there's mourning. And we need to just allow that process to happen. Morning makes me uncomfortable. Yes. I don't want to sit in that. <laughs> so I'm running. Definitely. And these are all things that we said, let's not do. We don't need to run. Yeah. We don't need to shelf. Yeah. Sit in it and walk. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that question of, um, there are people that, that leave the church, of course, and we all have friends and family that have done so. And what do we, what do, we do with that? And I think what is the cause of that? We sometimes wonder what, what happened, you know, what, what, what did we do wrong as a people? And I think that it's learning in our, in our, in our culture, in our church culture of how to help somebody feel okay with what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that we are, have to learn how to do that a little bit better uh, as, as, because we are going to get cut down. And I, I think that one of the problems is that we think there's something wrong with us when we are feeling cut down. Yeah. And I think we need to get better at creating that narrative saying, no, this is normal. And in fact, the gospel's uncomfortable because we're really good at getting up with a microphone and patting our hearts and talking about the peace and joy and everything of the gospel. And, and we're not very good at getting up to the microphone and say, actually, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this not, is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> not even, um, it just makes me think of ministering and the idea that um, we need to come to each other and 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 express that to one another on an individual basis and say hey you know what i really struggle with this or i'm having a hard time or i see that you're having a hard time can you tell me more about that yeah what is what is um 
what is, where is your faith at? And, and being okay with asking each other, you know, it's kind of like the idea that we don't, we don't really talk about finances, for example. We, it's something that makes us uncomfortable asking somebody else, well, you know, what are you doing to save? But how am I going to be able to make, like, I'm not a billionaire. I don't know how to make money. What did you do to get where you are? Like, I want to hear about your story and, and what are you doing to improve? And, and we can kind of apply that in the gospel. Um, how did you get your testimony of, of such and such? Or, or why is it that, um, that I'm lacking in this and being able to ask that of other people and recognizing that in other people as well and offering our hand yeah. to them. I just, when you talked about ministering, it just jogged this in my memory. Um, when they first introduced ministering, I, I don't feel like it was introduced this way, but for some reason I took it this way is that it was no longer that going to your family's houses and, and sharing a message and, and having that visit like it was when you were home teaching. And for some reason I had it painted in my mind that it was like show up at your ministering family's houses and help them rake the leaves yeah. or, you know, do something that was a service oriented thing. And I think that's good. But for some reason I, I was mourning that idea that I had left behind of like being able to go into family's houses and talk about yeah. the gospel and like make a connection with people and, and I think you hit that right there. It's the connection that we're looking for. And I think that can be done by, you know, sharing a message, coming over to their house. It can be done by helping them rake their leaves. That's how you build those relationships and make those connections is is by serving and loving each other. And what that looks like is going to be different for everyone. And I think that was the idea behind um, the new way of ministering is that they're trying to say, you know what, there are so many ways to do this. You don't have to follow this specific cookie cutter pattern. It's okay to go and give a message. If that's what you feel that family needs, that's great. If you feel like that family needs you just to send a text message, hey, that's great. As long as you're trying to make those connections, like you said. Right. Yeah. And I just feel that there's so much value specifically in that visiting in people's houses yeah. and talk, just talking about, you know, the struggles that they might have or the struggles that you might have and being in a spot where you can be vulnerable with them and, and talking about things that maybe are uncomfortable or maybe that church culture sometimes feels like it's yeah. off limits or taboo. Yeah. yeah maybe, I, I think maybe, you definitely, like I'm feeling more, more vulnerable here in your home than I would in a relief society class. I'm not going to necessarily say the same things there that I would to somebody sitting on my couch next to me for sure. Right. Totally. I think I think that ministry key. program really was a call for us to be real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cut yeah. the crap. <laughs> Don't go over there, please, and share a message. Ask if there's like, is there anything I could do for you, and then leave. I mean, that is what they're saying. That's checking yeah. the box. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you check the box, and you said, "I did, did my I did my home teaching." Yeah. They're saying, "Okay, let's be real here. Let's talk about hard things together. If we need to talk about hard things together." Yes. My mom had a <laughs> a visiting teaching. Um, lady come to her house one time with her little boy. They were just talking about different things, and the little boy just grabbed the enzyme out of her mom, out of his mom's hand, and just gave it to my mom. Said, "Here, you've got the message. Now can we go?" <laughs> and so that's not what it is. We we don't just hand them the message and say, "Okay, now we're leaving." And that's <laughs> that the next generation that's yeah. coming up thinking, yeah. "This is all this, I got to do." Is, yes. This is not yeah. real. So we yeah. have to we have to change that pattern of thinking, that narrative. Sure. And you totally hit it for me when you said. It looks different for everybody. Like this journey is so different for everybody, but we don't even allow ourselves to do that. I compare myself constantly to other people. I constantly feel inadequate 
lots to do with the fact that I joined the church later on in life, but changing the narrative, number one, of the things that we say. So there's a couple examples that keep coming to my mind. When somebody starts a lesson and they say, so we all know the story of, and I'm sitting there like, oh my god, We don't all know that We do not all know, (laughs) but I don't have the courage to raise my hand and be like, actually, can you can you just, you know, give me a little blip of what you're talking about? I feel inadequate. And I don't think that I'm the only one. No. And it's worse, I would say, or I would think that somebody who grew up in the church, they would feel even more inadequate because they, they don't know it. Yeah, they feel yeah. like they should. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, as a lifelong member of the church, I'm usually in that spot. I'm like, I, I actually don't remember that story. So <laughs> yeah. please, please enlighten me. What, what <laughs> you're assuming I think I know. <laughs> so it's things like that, or the narrative when somebody leaves the church. Where it's like, oh, I'm so I'm so sad for them, but bringing it into this, you know, this pity party, that is hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can change our mindset, and if we can just say like, oh, shoot, what? I wonder what I could do for that person, and not to try to bring them back, but really to try to connect with mm-hmm. them. That just that whole connecting. Yeah. And not making it about ourselves. Not like, about what ourselves. did I miss? Like, maybe yeah. I wasn't a good enough friend or I wasn't a good enough minister. Mm-hmm. No, it's not about that. It's what are they experiencing? What's going on that, you know, that, like you said, I can be there for them, not necessarily to change them. Yeah. yeah. And to not otherize them. You know, like, okay, so there's the yes. people that leave the church as if there's some, you know, group of people out there but to recognize you know if somebody somebody leaves the church don't you know what a faith crisis feels like yeah we all do know what that feels like we should all know what that feels like and to not say okay they're they're as if there's some other group we are all them yeah we are all them are we really that different from anybody else gave me chills that's so real what do you think logs i like it it's all really good (laughs) I know. I feel like that is a really good place to to end this awesome discussion. I think maybe to to leave us on a note, why don't we all just say one more time? So with that said, what does faith look like to us? What do you think, Chris? So faith for me means um, being okay with the things that I don't know and recognizing my own weaknesses and my own um, obstacles that I have and being okay with those. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. Faith is still, is still for me um, something greater than myself and um, accepting that, like Chris said, that I don't know everything, that I can't do everything, um, that it's going to be uncomfortable, that it's going to hurt sometimes, that it's going to be joyful sometimes, that um other people are there with me, that I can be there for other people and um, that we all have a savior to look to. Yeah. Um, I've just, as we've been talking here, it's, it's reminded me of a conversation that I had with a friend a couple weeks ago and he was telling me about some just really, really hard things that he's gone through in his life. And he talked about in the depths of what he was going through, he remembered the story of the woman at the well and how the savior this this woman was caught in the very act of adultery and she was brought to the savior and 
recommended to be stoned because that's what the law said. And the Savior in that moment got down to her level in the dirt with her and and taught her in the dirt with with his hand in the dirt. And it just really struck me of what we're supposed to do as members of our faith and members of our communities is to to get down next to those people who are struggling because inevitably it's going to be us at some point. And if we can do that, we can show our faith in a way that the Savior did by getting down in the dirt with those people who are really struggling. And I think that's... I I think, yeah, we should all show up dirty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that idea. (laughs) We're we're here to be cleansed by the atonement, not by avoiding the dirt. And we got to get down there and dig in. Oh, that's good. I feel like um, what I do know about faith is that it makes me uncomfortable because I like answers. (laughs) I like immediate answers and I... It stretches me and it, I'm full of questions, but I also am not afraid of hard work. I know that I'm the most flawed person here, so I <laughs> I feel like just more than anything, faith means to me getting down, getting down with others, um, recognizing that our journeys are all different and nobody is, is better or more qualified than anybody else. And and we need something to hold on to. So I appreciate this discussion and I look forward to many more. So thanks you guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks.